Welcome to Passion Church. For more information about Passion Church, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. I went to see Steve Coleman, miracle, miracle, miracle. Um, when Julie went and I went to see him on the first day he went to the hospital, I, I honestly was very, very worried that we would have another funeral uh, last week. But I went to see him, what, Friday, I guess, and just a complete turnaround. And so we're thankful uh, that God still answers prayers. Amen. So let me get give God glory for that. Um, but what a week. Uh, I, I talked to Tari earlier this week. I haven't said anything on Facebook because um, I've come to realize you don't change anything on Facebook. Anybody figured that out yet? Newsflash, word, there's a sermon in that, right? You ain't changing nothing by your posts on Facebook. Um, but let me make a statement to you as part of our family. If we haven't learned anything else by now, and especially after this week, what we should know is this, is that sin is colorblind. Um, Our media and our society would try to tell us we have a race problem, and we do. but But they won't ever address the real issue. Because the reason we have a race problem is because we have a sin problem. That's why all the railing against all of everything won't work because they won't let us address the real issue. You think anybody's going to let us march and say, we have a sin problem? No, they're not going to do that. They don't want to hear sin. All they're dealing with is the manifestations of sin. But until we call a thing what it really is, it's sin. Because if you don't call it sin, then there's no need for repentance. See, that's the, the first guarantee we have is this, is, is that sin is colorblind. The second guarantee we have is this, is that there's only one resolution to the issue. And that is not politicians, because they're never going to get it right. That's not government, because they're not equipped to do what's necessary. The way we get it right is what Chronicles tells us, is when God's people turn from their evil ways. And see, I knew I wasn't going to get no help. And pray and ask God to forgive us. Okay. Um, so, if then, and then it says, if we'll do that, then what happens? God will hear from heaven and he will heal our land. So, if our land's not being healed, let's, back, let's work backwards. If our land is not being healed, then what that says to me is then that God's people are so apathetic that we won't repent and we won't turn from our evil ways, ways and lead the change that needs to take place. Okay, all right. So therefore, we have a sin problem. But we've got to be part of the solution. And our part of the solution is this. We repent. We repent. Okay, it's going to be real tight in here today if we don't get past this little part right here. So uh, so I want to take a moment before we get into God's word and I want us to spend just a moment in prayer and I want us to repent did you know there are there are 
people in this congregation that worship together in an, a church that is made up of all races that have racism and prejudice hidden in their hearts. And so my question is this, can you be completely spirit-filled, praising in the Holy Ghost, and be full of prejudice and racism? Yes. You know how I know that? Peter proves it in Scripture. He was absolutely prejudiced and racist against Gentiles. But let me go one step further that I've gone to this week. Can you stay that way? And the answer is no, because Paul cooks his hind in. When he finds out that Peter is prejudiced and racist, racist, Paul goes out of his way and confronts Peter and said, this is not right. And so if you're harboring prejudice and racism in your heart, I get it. But you can't keep it. And you can't stay there. Not and be everything that God wants you to be and everything that God wants us to be. And so, Father, this morning, uh, I pray that you would remind us of our responsibility. I'm not waiting on a president to fix this issue. I'm not waiting on a senator or a congressman or a judge or a mayor or a governor to fix this. I'm not waiting on civil rights activists to fix this. I am asking you to come into the house of God and start cleaning here because your word declares that if we would repent and if we would turn from our evil ways, then you'll hear our cry and you'll hear our land. So, Father, I pray for every person under the sound of my voice that if there's any hidden prejudice, any hidden racism, if they were ever taught as a child, because this is a taught thing, I pray if we were ever taught that uh, the only good Indian is a dead Indian, if we were ever taught that by the color of someone's skin, it separates them and it causes them to be less than or under. I come against that in the name of Jesus. And I pray that you would uproot that out of our heart and our spirit. And not only, we know sin is colorblind, but I pray that you would help us to be colorblind enough that we would love one another and consider each other the way you consider us brothers and sisters. That's who we are. We're family. We are family. We're family. And so, Father, I pray that you would forgive us. And I pray that we would repent. And I pray that we would treat each other with respect and dignity, even if they're not a part of this body. I pray that you would fill us with love to the degree that you would cause us to treat those outside with the love that they deserve. And I pray that we'd treat our, we would train our children to live that way. Heal our land, I pray. We pray for everyone, every family that is going through turmoil and despair and heartache this morning because of loss of life. I pray that you would comfort, whether they are right or wrong, does not matter. I pray that you would comfort them because they're hurting. And I pray that you would touch them and help us to lead a charge to see a change. We call it what it is. It's sin. And we repent in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, 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 amen.
And I'm sorry. I'm sorry y'all are having to, the folks of color in our congregation, I'm so sorry that you're being forced to be scared. It's ridiculous. I'm sorry that they have to move the Dodgers game because white folks are scared to go downtown during a Black Lives Matter march. That's, that's ridiculous. This is not who we are. That's not who we're going to be. Didn't even mean to do all that, but it's taken me. Okay. It's taken us a year to get to where we are today. We've been battling five principalities. If you want to see the impact of these principalities, all you got to do is watch the news this week. Um, we've talked about isolation, we've talked about poverty, we've talked about hopelessness. We've talked about apathy. Wake up, y'all. This is what we're watching, the manifestation of these principalities that work together. And then it, it, it spawns its ultimate goal, which is compartmentalism. I made these statements to you last week. I'm going to repeat them throughout this series because I don't want us to miss this. I believe that compartmentalism is pervasive in our society, but it's also very, very recognizable and apparent in the church. We honestly believe that what we can do is we can cut our life up into little slices that never bleed over into one another. So what that means then is I can come to church and have a spiritual slice of my life and I can worship and I can sing and I can pray, but that slice is compartmentalized so that it has no bearing and no impact on the rest of my life. So I have this church life, this compartmentalized part of my life where I'm spiritual when I'm at church. Pastor Woody's already alluded to this. I'm spiritual while I'm at church, but that side of my life has no bearing on what I do socially. So now I can come to church and worship on Sunday, but on Monday I can go do things and embrace things socially, and it never dawns on me that the, what I'm doing socially doesn't live up to the standards that I was called to in my spiritual life on Sunday. So now on Monday I can do things that, that I would never do on Sunday or around certain people. But now I can do that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And I never it never dawns on me that, first of all, it lowers the standards that God has called me to. I, I embrace lower standards than what he's called me to. And it makes me a hypocrite in the eyes of those around me. So what that means is this. I can worship on Sunday, but I can lie when it's convenient on Monday. Or I can cheat if necessary to get me out of a situation and to get ahead. But then I'm going to come on Sunday and I'm going to worship the paint off the walls and the two never mix. And so what I do in church literally has no bearing on the rest of my life. I, it doesn't have any impact on my business practices. It doesn't have any impact on my entertainment choices. It doesn't deal with who I date. It doesn't have any bearing on that. My spiritual man is only about my spiritual man on Sunday. We compartmentalize. So we come to church and we play a game of thrones and what we do is we use language, because language is important. Don't you ever believe that language is not important. Language is important. We come to church and we use the language of the kingdom. Words like Lord, Sovereign, Almighty, Reign. 
He reigns in our life. And about the time that Jesus thinks we're getting it on Sunday morning, he wants to come and establish his throne in our life. And so here we are, we're singing and we're talking and we produce this throne. We position a throne in our life and Jesus hears us using the language of the kingdom and he's about to sit down on the throne of our life and we'll pull the chair out from under him over and over again because about the moment that he wants to correct us or address the issues of our life, we don't like that. It makes us uncomfortable. And we unseat him. And so we play this game of thrones. We only allow him to sit on the throne in the areas we choose based on whether we want to be blessed or prospered. So that when he tries to establish his throne in our life and bring rebuke or correction, we kick him off the throne. Anybody with me? Y'all with me this morning? I know that's a rehash, but we need to hear that over and over again. We have compartmentalized our life. So I want to draw your attention to a familiar parable that Jesus told that literally uh, it's a very familiar parable. You'll know it as soon as I start reading it and we'll check out if we're not careful. But it literally puts on display this this concept of, of our life being segmented. Let's see if you can see it. Matthew chapter 13. Verses 3 through 9, it says this. It says, Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. And as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Now, I don't know about you, but I have literally heard dozens, if not hundreds, of messages based on this parable. Uh, stuff like this, uh, uh, there are wayside Christians, there are uh, shallow Christians, which are the rocky ground, there, there are distracted Christians, which is the thorny ground, and there are committed Christians who are the good ground. Y'all heard all that? Yeah, I've heard all that. Good preaching, all right, all correct, but I want to take it a different angle. I, I want to look at this parable and show us what it reveals to us about living life compartmentalized. I want you to notice, the first thing I want you to notice is the fact that the parable doesn't say that the sower went to different locations to sow the seed. He was in the same field. Okay, y'all got to stay with me now. As he was sowing, some seed fell on different kinds of soil. So these different kinds of soil were in the vicinity of one another. Perhaps, at least in my mind, it's all in the same field. He's sowing all in the same, are y'all with me? He's all in the same field. Uh, 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 As the sower would walk around the field, he would literally cast seed and it would go into different types of soil, but it was the same field. You, you may think I'm taking liberty with the account, but I think that it, this is a, a legitimate um, perspective because isn't that the perfect description and picture of our life? Different soil, same field. Uh, okay. 
Here's the truth. I'll just talk about me. I want to be all good soil. Okay, but I'm getting ready to let y'all in, be a little transparent this, this morning. I'm not always all good soil. All right, same field, same guy standing up here on Sunday mornings de- delivering the word, preaching his guts out, but not the same. Because there are some Mondays that I wake up and there happens to be some areas of my life where rocks show up. And Okay, y'all didn't help me none. I, I guess y'all don't get to see me on Monday morning. There are some moments in my life like when we're not winning the ball game like we're supposed to be winning the ball game that, that thorns when the ref is in it, okay, you know what he is. Thorn, okay. Paul owns up to that for all of us when he famously said this in Romans 7. I'm so glad he said this because it makes me feel like somebody else understands my problem. He said it like this. He said, and I know that nothing good lives in me. That is, in my sinful nature, I want to do what is right. I want to be good soil, but I can't. He says, I want to do what is good but I don't. Anybody want to say amen right there? I don't, I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Same field, different soil. I, I want to say something to you this morning that I think we need to come to grips with. In other words, there is a ground war going on in each of us. I'm going to say that again because some of you just went. There is a ground war going on inside of each of us. There is, a, there is an all-out battle waging on the inside of you, raging on the inside of you right now where, where good soil is being mixed with thorny soil and rocky soil. And the one with the most soil wins. It's a ground war. Same field, different ground. Same life filled with contradictions. Compartmentalism personified. We own, This is what we do. We only show our good ground on Sundays. But then Monday through Saturday, it seems to be much more apparent that there is rocky ground, in fact, inside of me, and there's thorny ground inside of me. Same field, different soil. This, I also want you to see this. I want you to take... Uh, close look, go back and read it for yourself when you get home. I want you to take close look at the seed that was sown. Because not only did he stay in the same field and impact different kinds of soil, he sowed the same seed in all the soil. I, I, I'm just reading word. The word doesn't stop and say, and in and, 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 and part of the field he throws like weak seed, and in other parts of the field, he throws super seed. All right, I'm going somewhere. Stay with me now. It's the same seed. Am I right? Same seed. He throws the same seed into the same field and different results. He, he just sows seed. So I need you to hear me this morning. There is no difference in the seed. So what determines the existence of a harvest isn't the quality of the seed, but the saturation of the seed. Can't get no help. What determines your harvest is the saturation of the seed into your life.
Okay. So what then changes soil from bad to good? Different seed? Got to get some super seed. Gotta go give me some super seed, man. If I could just get, if I could just go like live four months down in Dallas and, and spend time at the Potter's house, Bishop T.D. Jakes would bring me some super seed and it would change my bad soil to good soil. Right? No. It's the same seed. Okay, I, I, y'all, are, y'all are so quiet this morning. How about more seed? If I could just get more seed, then the rocks and the thorns in my life would disappear. More seed would probably help, but I'm not convinced that would do it. I am convinced that the difference is saturation. We've got to let the the seed saturate into every part of our life. The dilemma with that is this. We like to blame the word when it doesn't seem to work. Okay, it's going to get real tight in here. See, I, I, well, you don't understand, Pastor Steve. I spoke the word into my situation, and I didn't see any change, no results, nothing happened. But the word says about itself that it will never return void. So my question is, is if you spoke word and delivered word into your situation and nothing changed, is it the seed's fault or did you fail to check your soil? Okay, all right, all right. See, uh, the word never returns void. But, hear me, there's, this is huge. But its power can be limited if we refuse to deal with our dirt. Man, okay. If we're not willing to deal with the dirt of our lives, then We can plant all the seed we want to in it. If we won't let that seed saturate us, it won't change us. Okay, I'm going to get really practical. Because there are many of us that throw word all in our lives. And it doesn't grow because we won't let it grow. Okay, it's going to get real tight here. Some of us want to throw word into our lives that says that we are prosperous. I want to throw a word into my bank account. You will be prosperous. We just throw it in there. I, I command money cometh. Y'all ever heard that one? Money cometh. Yeah. We just throw the word out there. Yeah. But we won't let word, the same seed, saturate us enough to deal with how we tithe or don't tithe. We won't let that same seed bear any roots in us when it starts to deal with us about our love of things. Because as soon as that seed begins to point out that what we own now owns us and we become idol worshipers, we want to blame the Word and say, the Word didn't work, I'm not as prosperous as I should be, but you wouldn't let the Word saturate you enough to deal with We won't let the Word deal with us about generosity and we're stingy and but I threw word into my life. We want to throw word into our sickness. He's our healer. But we won't let that same seed grow any roots when it begins to deal with us about why we're sick. Like you wouldn't still be sick if you'd quit doing what's causing you to be sick. 
okay. Like, how about this? Quit worrying. Cast all your care. Oh, no, you don't understand. I'm just a worrier by nature. Well, then you're going to be sick because worry makes you sick. That's why we say sick with worry. Come on now. Come on, McFly. Anybody home? We want to throw. I, we want to throw. I'm, I'm healed by his stripes. I'm healed. But you won't quit worrying. So you, the seed never saturates. And so you keep getting a different harvest. Oh, do I even dare? Um, I'm healed. Yeah, but you keep going back to the buffet. All right. All right. Some of us want to throw words into relationships. But we won't allow the word to saturate our lives enough so that we come to this place where we will honor our wife. We won't treat our husband with respect. We won't let the word saturate us enough to dictate who we can and who we cannot date. And then we get mad at the word because the word didn't work. When the truth is, is that the word works every time. It just doesn't have any roots in your life because you won't allow it to saturate certain areas of your life because those areas are off limits. Okay, I'm preaching and y'all looking at me. We allow our dirt to get in the way and we resist seed saturation. So there are areas of our life that we refuse to deal with. So rocks and thorns grow up and it fights the seed. It literally fights the seed. Do you recognize that every Sunday when you come to the come to the, this this body, every time you turn on your radio and listen to Christian praise and worship, every time you listen to a podcast, somebody delivering the word, every time you open up you you version and listen to scripture like time and a half faster than you can normally read it. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, do you realize that at that moment seed is being cast into your life, and at that moment there's a war being waged, and the rocks and the thorns are fighting, and you have to deal with your dirt. Harvest is determined by saturation. Therefore, if you have shallow saturation, you have a slim harvest. If you have obstructed saturation, then it limits your harvest. Our harvest is directly proportionate to our saturation. So... Here's our issue. We stay close enough to get seed, but not saturated enough to enjoy the harvest of that seed. We, we, we can tell how saturated your life is with seed by what it takes to trample out or choke out the harvest that should be produced by that seed. Are y'all with me this way? Do you understand what I'm saying here? So this is what happens. This is, this is reality. Many of us receive seed on a regular basis. But we never allow it to dig deep roots into us. And we see that happen. We know it's happening by what it takes to steal your harvest. Because for some of you, you're getting seed, seed, seed seed and you encounter one little trial and you give up hope 
and it chokes the life out of you. Many of us get seed, 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 and we never allow it to establish deep roots in us, and so we come up against just a little bit of trouble. And we begin to sound like hee-haw. Some of y'all don't even know what a hee-haw is, do you? Doom and despair and agony on me. Yeah, but what about all the seed? What about you're more than an overcomer? What about you're, you're the head, not the tail? You're the first, not the last. What about Jesus is for you? What about the sermons you've heard about God is for you? If God is for you, who can be against you? Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. But did I get a little trouble and I now, God must hate me. If you hate me, I'll hate you. Stupid word. Didn't work. All because we won't let seed saturate us. So I've got some questions this morning. You say, well, how does this relate to thrones? Just hang on. How seed saturated are you? I'm talking about, let's, okay, I had to do this in my own life this week, so... I'm asking you to do now on Sunday what it took me all week to work through. In a transparent, honest moment, would you please evaluate your own field and answer this question. How seed-saturated are you? Three examples quickly. Joshua in Joshua chapter 1.8. It was given on was given specific instructions on how seedy he had to be. Here's what the word said to him. Here's what God said to him. Study this book of instruction continually. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna read it like we wanted to read. Study this book of instruction on Sunday. I like it like that better continually he goes on and he says this meditate on it day and night so you will be sure to obey everything written in it how can you obey everything written in it if you don't know what's written in it only 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 then only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. How seedy are you? Do you meditate on the word? I don't mean just think about the word like the sermon until like uh, what are we going to do for lunch overthrows the memory of the message. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about do you spend any significant time during the week thinking about the word? Chewing on the word. Digesting the word. If not, then may I declare to you, saturation was shallow and trouble will come along and steal the seed. Uh, another version says it like this. Keep this book of law always on your lips. Do you ever even talk about the word? Are there ever any conversations outside of church during the week where you literally discuss the word? David is the second example. He reveals how seedy he was in Psalm chapter 119, verse 11. He says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. 
So my question this morning is this. Do you have any hidden word? Any hidden word in your heart? Do, do you have any laid up word? You know, you don't get, most of the time you don't get the word you need in the middle of trouble. You get it before trouble comes and you lay it up and you store it up so that while you're in the middle of trouble, God reminds you, brings to your remembrance what you've already laid up. Some of you get laid out because you don't have anything laid up. One in my notes, that's pretty good. I don't want to remember that one. Kim, Twitter that. (laughs) One version of that same verse says this, I have treasured your word in my heart. Do you have any treasured word? Any treasured word? The, the last one is Jesus shows us how seed saturation can make the difference in every aspect of our life because you know the account. He's fasting and the enemy comes and tries. You know what the enemy's trying to do? He's trying to pollute the field of Jesus. Same field, different ground. He's literally trying to throw in rocks and thorns. And so he tries to cast into Jesus' life pride of life, Right? He tries, to, he tries to throw into his life materialism. He tries to throw in his life idol worship. It's a ground war. There, he, Jesus is literally facing a ground war. And I want you to notice what he does. Jesus uses the seed as a sword. And the difference is when we face trials and we face temptations, we fight with Facebook. We don't know how to handle the word as a weapon because we won't let the seed saturate our heart and become treasured and become valuable and become enthroned to where it has rule and reign over our life. I am telling you that if we are going to break compartmentalism, then we must allow the word to saturate and permeate every area of our life and we must work to change rocky and thorny ground into good ground so that when the seed is sown in the same field, it will find good ground to land in. There is no possibility of harvest without seed, right? But there is also no possibility of substantial harvest without some ground management. Most of us need a good ground crew. Y'all miss that. That's a baseball thing. Most people don't understand that. Darren, you got it. All right, Jake, me and you, we got it, bro. The reason the ball field looks as nice as it does is because there were guys and girls out there before you came to play the game that were out there as a grounds crew working the ground, getting rid of rocks on the infield, getting rid of the weeds out in the outfield so that everything is perfect. We've got to have folks in our life that will look at our field and go, "Mm, rock. Mm, That's a rock. That attitude is wrong. You don't have the seed working in your life. You're prejudiced and you... That's ground crew. We all need a ground crew. Somebody in our life that has the right to call rocks for rocks and thorns for thorns and good ground for good ground so that we can do ground management so when the seed comes in, it finds good ground. My, my issue is this, and then I'll get out of your way. I just A couple more statements. 
We want the same harvest of holiness and character and strength that the fathers, our fathers had before us without the discipline that they had that was the seedbed of, uh, for, for the word that they heard and that they read. Their discipline, the, character, the harvest of character and strength and stamina and holiness was the harvest that they reaped from the seedbed that they prepared for the word. And we want it without all the work. And this is how that manifests itself. We hear it one time a week, and then we only read what's on the screen, and then we wonder why our harvest is limited and the throne is vacant in our life. I am concerned that we are literally the most seed-exposed generation that has ever walked the planet while at the same time being the least seed-saturated generation that has ever walked the planet. If we are going to enthrone him, we talked about that last week, that's what we are trying to do, is to enthrone him, to quit playing a game of thrones and put him on the throne of our life, then we must become seedy. We must build a throne of word that has authority and rule over our life. We must meditate on it. We must treasure it. And I say that to you because how can he rule by his word if we don't know his word? Because if we don't know his word, can I tell you who takes the throne of our life? Feelings. And feelings lie. If I don't know his word, then what will happen is that in my own life, I will quit operating. It just sounds good. It feels right. It feels good. Because we don't know what his word says. Um, do you realize that in scripture, I, I'm trying not to tell you, I, I'm, I, if I'm wrong here, you just throw this out, but I think this is pretty substantial. As you read through the Gospels, when you come into the book of John, John gives us a glimpse of Jesus before Jesus comes to earth. And John says about Jesus, we know Jesus as Jesus because that's the name Mary and Joseph were instructed to give him, right? Jesus. Have you ever wondered what Jesus' name was before he got here? If John is correct, and who am I to argue with John? John says that Jesus, that we know was Jesus, that his name was the Word. His name is the Word. So if we are going to elevate him, we talked about this last week, that the idea of enthroning him to, to a throne, the, the word throne carries with it this, this concept of going up to elevate. If we're going to elevate Jesus, that's how we know him. If we're going to elevate Jesus, the word, 
and place him on the throne of every area of our life, then we must at the same time elevate the word. It's a sad day when a preacher has to stand up on a Sunday morning and try to encourage Christian saved Jesus follower folks to elevate the word over their opinion, over their feelings, over their neighbor's opinion, over what's trending on Facebook or Twitter. It is a sad day, but that's where we are. Then I know we're there because of the harvest we keep reaping. And so I am asking you to come back to a place in your own life where his where the word is enthroned and sitting over and ruling over and reigning over your life so that in every situation that I face his word reigns supreme well, what does that look like? Well, that means when I get paid, 10%. I don't feel like it. Join the club. I could do some stuff with some 10%. But his word says, there are some folks I don't like. Don't worry, y'all, not them. I don't think. I don't feel like loving you. Don't matter. His word says that people will know who I am by the fact that I love. They did me wrong. They hurt me. They hurt my kids. They kicked my dog. They talked bad about me. The word says, turn the other cheek. But I don't want, that's not my nature. I know that's the problem. His word has to reign supreme in our lives so that what he says goes. No negotiations based on my feelings, preferences, likes or dislikes. I am through playing a Game of Thrones where I unseat him and I claim ignorance. Y'all know if you like run a stop sign and the police officer stops you and says you ran the stop sign, you can say all you want to. I've I never been taught that that, that red octagon-shaped sign that says stop means I'm supposed to stop. I didn't know. He's going to look at you as he's writing. And he's going to say maybe $198 out of your bank account will instruct you on what you are supposed to know. And we want to claim ignorance. I didn't mean to sin, but we wouldn't read his word to find out whether it was one or not. We won't memorize his word. So when the Holy Spirit speaks to us and convicts us, we, we, we throw that off as it's just a feeling because we haven't become seedy enough so that we become saturated 
and he's worthy. Father, this morning, Jesus, this morning, I call you by your name. Hear the word. And I elevate the word this morning. Not as some book, not as some leather-bound, man-inspired history book. I honor the word, the living word. I ask that we would once again honor your word as inspired. I pray that we would honor your word as correct. I pray that we would honor your word as inerrant. There's nothing wrong in it because it wasn't man-breathed. It was God-breathed. I honor your word as relevant. It applies today in a different culture, in a different era, in a different century, in a different time. It's still just as relevant and spot on, even if we don't like it. And it makes us uncomfortable. I'm asking you to help us to become seedy again. I'm asking that those of us that have issues with compartmentalizing our life so that the word has no bearing other than what we do at church. It has no bearing on how we give. It has no bearing on who we worship outside of church. It has no bearing on who we hang with. It has no bearing on how I treat my spouse. It has no bearing on how hard I work at work. It has no bearing on how I do at school. It has no bearing on what I watch. It has no bearing on where I go. It has no bearing on what I listen to. God, I'm praying that you would allow our lives to become saturated with your seed so that we're more good ground than rocky ground. than we are thorny ground. God, I know personally for me there is a ground war going on inside of me every day. I'm asking you to help me to get engaged in ground management. To allow me to replace my own opinions, my own preferences, kick those things off the throne of my own life and put the word back into the throne help us to meditate help us to treasure help us to lay up the word I ask you to accomplish this in Jesus name would you do this with me this morning if you have your bible whether it's on your phone your ipad whether you have an actual Bible, like leather-bound, would you get it real quick? Just pull it right out there where you are. And I want you to do something. If you're physically able, I want you to do two things. First of all, I want you to make an altar right where you are. I want you to put that Bible right there where you're kneeling, right, right in front of your face. And I just want you to begin to talk to God about His Word. Ask God to help you to elevate His Word and to enthrone His
his word and to establish his word in your life. Would you do that quickly? Would you just find you a place to pray? At some point in this prayer, as you're praying and you feel like you've been thrown the word, I want you to lift your word above your head and just make this declaration. It doesn't have to be loud. It's just between you and God. This is your word. I will honor it. I will let it guide my life. I will obey it. I will live by it. I will elevate it in my life. Any any configuration of that statement, would you do that this morning? Would you find a place to pray right there where you are and talk to God about His Word in your life for a moment? Welcome to Passion Church. For more information about Passion Church, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress.